back to another episode of Wiggly Macabre. I am here today with my best friend, Dee Seibel. Say hello, Dee. Hi, hello, Dee. And if you're new here, I'm Tiffany Turgetto. We uh, co-host this lovely podcast. Yeah, Wiggly Macabre. Woo! So exciting. So, let's see. <laughs> I found some coins uh, in the couch today. Yeah. Um, okay, so we have... This one is... Delaware. And... <gasps> hey, it's Oregon! Yay, Oregon! 2005 yep. Crater Lake. Oh, Crater Lake is... Ooh, let's slip you that one. Okay. Okay, I agree. Delaware, okay. we'll reserve you for another time. You will be next. Ready? Yes. Flip. What? That... Um, wow, did that fall underneath the seat? We're in the car again today. Okay. Oh, Try again. I, hold on. Let me turn this down. So okay, one, two, fail. Heads! Heads! Yeah! So, that means, for those of you who are new to the show, uh, when we flip the coin, heads, we do true crime, and tails, we do paranormal. And since Tiffany uh, flipped it and it said heads, we're going to do heads, which is uh, Tiffany's specialty. True crime. Take her away, Tiffany. I feel like there was something else we were going to talk about. What were we going to talk about? I was like, we should save this for the podcast. And then it wasn't the one that we were just talking about in the car. Yeah. But earlier today. I don't remember. I don't either. I just remember stepping on Legos. <laughs> hey, but we got them to clean, so that's got a plus. them to clean. Thank God. Thank Tiffany. Aunt Tiffy for the win. Yes. Making cleaning fun for an undercaffeinated mom. Yeah. Overworked, oh. undercaffeinated. <laughs> yeah. Started a new job this week. Woo! So that's been um, exciting. Well, I started it a couple weeks, three weeks ago, but it's been part time and not really seen a whole lot of action. But this is the first like full action week. You were Actually, mostly doing, like, those annoying videos that everyone has to do when they get hired at a place? Nope. Did not do that. No, I'm uh, training for specific certifications, so I'm, I'm going through the uh, certification training modules. Oh, that makes so sense. So it's an actual... Ooh, is it really bad 80s or 90s acting modules? You're Try, making a face. I mean, it's, it's the 2000s. Yeah. You can tell, like, they haven't updated in a little while, and I won't say what I'm doing, and I'm not going to say what company it is or anything like that, but it is a little aged. Those are funny. They make me giggle. And I'm one of those people that are just like, I write, I've written manuals for work before uh, in previous jobs, so it's like, I want to fix this. How do I fix this? And then they actually updated their website, which kicked me out of the training or learning modules for a little while. Anyway, it was a big thing this week. It was crazy. It was exciting. I got to do a lot of stuff. I'm just, I'm so thankful that I found something that I, I didn't think that I, I'd be getting into. It's been a long time since I've seen you very happy with work. Like excited and yeah. happy. You've been happy before, but not this kind of happy. I am, I'm in a state of constant anxiety uh, right now, it's <laughs> it's moving between jovial and wow to oh my god, this is too good to be true. Like yeah. I'm, gonna, I'm gonna mess it up. I'm gonna mess it up. 
and it will just escape from underneath me and I'll be like, well, guess I threw that in the trash. It's crazy. It feels natural. It's amazing. Almost as natural as our podcast. Yes. Yes. So enough about me. You know what I was going to (laughs) say? Um, I've had a terrible week where everything goes wrong. Um, I was sick and my bleeding ulcer were back. So that's fun. Yeah, bleeding from the inside. It's great. But I feel better, a little bit better. I have to completely change my diet and attempt not to worry about anything. And if you know me, you know that I'm in a constant stage of worry about everything. Like, I worry about people that I don't even know. My family says I have been like that since I was a baby. They could see the worry on my face. Yeah. It's, it's a natural state that I'm just in. But also they've had to adjust all my medications which is my poor body is going through a lot this week (laughs) and my brain mostly at work has like I swear everything has gone wrong but I still have my job so that's a good (laughs) I didn't go that wrong Uh, the story today Tiffany you have a true crime story because you're our true crime correspondent I do podcast sure okay we'll make it one Cool. That can be your official title. Producer and true crime correspondent, Tiffany. Hello, and thank you for being here in Deanne's car. I am going to tell you a story about a case in a different country with different laws than the U.S. Also, because it's an Arabic country, the names aren't easy to pronounce, so bear with me. I apologize if I mispronounce anything. Um, I tried to look them up, but... Arabic, they speak so quickly that it's hard to figure it out. Oh, you know what we could do? What can we do? I I have an idea for us. Um, I like ideas. They have, like, a translate or, or a pronunciation. Ooh. Pronun... I spelled it right. Oh. Yep. yep. Cannot. <laughs> we both cannot get to the internet. Okay. Uh. Yay, 5G. <laughs> Just far enough from your house. I'm going to try it on my phone. Oh, that's smart. Sometimes I have smart ideas. Don't lie to the people. <laughs> Audio. Excuse me while I throw my iPad across the freaking car. Audio. Okay, where is the name? What is the... F- the first one is right here. That's Punjabi. Okay, well... Shut up. <laughs> There's a lot of them, like... Lahore. Shalwar. Punjabi. Pakistan. Did you need help with Pakistan? No, definitely not. Are you sure? Yeah. Say Pakistan. Pakistan. Well, if you're gonna get all fancy... <laughs> It's December 30th, 1999, in Pakistan's second biggest city, Lahore, Punjabi, Pakistan. The weather that time of year is similar to Oregon. In fact, the weather that day was exactly the same as it is in Oregon today while I was writing this episode. It said it was 48 degrees and clear skies with a little bit of rain. Which, I mean, today isn't like that. Because it is wet, rainy, very cloudy, windy. windy as all hell. My poor dog's afraid. 
According to Wikipedia, men in Punjab would be wearing shalwars, which are trousers, atypically wide at the waist but narrow to a cuffed bottom. They are held up by a drawstring or an elastic belt, which causes them to become pleated around the waist. That's kind of cool. The trousers can be wide and baggy, or they can be cut quite narrow. Shawars have been traditionally worn in a wide region, which includes Eastern Europe, West Asia, Central Asia, and South Asia. The kameez is a long shirt or tunic. The side seams are left open below the waistline. The opening is known as a shock. I think I pronounced that right. It's a double A which gives the wearer greater freedom of movement. It sounds really comfortable. It does sound comfortable. The kameez is usually cut straight and flat. Older kameez use traditional cuts. Modern kameez are more likely to have a European-inspired set in sleeves. The kameez may have a European-style collar, a Mandarin collar, or it may be collarless. In the latter case, its design as a woman's garment is similar to a kurta. We are going to dive into the brutal crimes of Javid Iqbal. He was from Lahore. No, uh, I have a question. Oh, yes. Uh, why was that relevant? Because it was just cool information. Oh, okay. Like fun facts. <laughs> fun facts. <laughs> Just because we don't wear that kind of stuff, so I thought it would be fun to toss it in there. Um, Okay, so we're going to dive into the brutal crimes of Javid Iqbal. Like I said, he was from Lahore, Pakistan. So on December 30th, 1999, he sent a letter to police and media confessing to the murder of over 100 boys between the ages of 6 and 16. Wow. Oh, I heard already. This is going to be a rough one. He claimed to have strangled them, dismembered their bodies, and destroyed all of the evidence by dissolving them in vats of hydrochloric acid. Then, he dumped their remains into a river. Ugh. Could you imagine doing anything in that water? I don't want to. Or even worse, using it for cooking and cleaning. Oh, God, yeah. No. You would literally be drinking acid and body their remains and these poor boys... Ugh, there's so many problems. Ugh, so awful in so many ways. Upon arrival at his house, which was purchased by his well-off father, police and media found blood splatter on the walls, which were stained at this point, meaning they had been there for a long time. It was all over the floors and ceiling. They claimed to find a chain he used to strangle his victims with. Newsmen were the first to reach a three-room dingy house along the Ravi Road, which was pointed out in the letter. The reporters and police found place cards neatly pinned to the interior walls of the house, giving details about the victims and how they were murdered. So imagine, you have over a hundred of these all over the walls of the house. Wait. So they're like cue cards. Yeah, so the guy was... Am I hearing this right? Or am I not paying attention? The killer put these note cards up. Yes. Detailing, like, the names and exactly how they were murdered and, you know, what they were wearing and how old they were. Like, gruesome details 
about each victim. It's awful, horrible, disgusting, all of all of the words. Also, all of the details of the murders were contained in a diary and a 32-page notebook that have been placed around the room. He also sent that to authorities. This is my confessional statement, he said. Another place card read, the bodies in the house have been deliberately not been disposed of so that the authorities will find them after my suicide. Then another place card said, I'm going to jump into the Ravi River and commit suicide. So they thought he was dead. They always used an unprecedented amount of time and resources scouring the river, dragging nets through the entire thing to look for him. But it turned out unsuccessful because he was on the run. This, at the time, was Pakistan's largest manhunt. They spent over a month searching everywhere for him. It turns out the whole time he was hiding in a drainage culvert and then a little bit later a cave. For a month? For a month. What are you... How are you... How do they not find you? Like, do you take diapers in there with you? Do you... What do you eat? Yeah, are you eating sewer rats? Maybe. You're not drinking that water. Probably not because you know what was in it. Yeah. I smell conspiracy. Uh, Let's go back a bit and talk about his upbringing. The reason I skipped ahead in the story is due to the fact that there's not a lot of information on his early years. Iqbal was the sixth of eight children. His father was a businessman who was well off, like I said earlier. He attended Government Islamia College. Railway Road Lahore was an intermediate school. Um, he was an intermediate student. In 1978, while he was a student, he started a steel recasting business. He lived along with boys in a three-bedroom house. He was essentially using his victims as slaves to run his business before he murdered them, which is what it sounds like by all the things I read. At this point in the story, I learned that his brothers wanted nothing to do with him, so he really didn't have any contact with his family. I'm not sure if he had contact with his dad. He was living in his, they kept calling it a villa, but it was really like a worn down two story or one story house with three bedrooms and a bathroom. That's a villa? I know, it was weird. I'm gonna look up what a villa is. Yeah. Okay, Siri. Hey, Siri. Siri? How do I Siri? There, I'll hold the button on the side. What defines a villa? A villa is a type of house that was originally an ancient Roman upper-class country house. So maybe it was run down? Maybe it started as an upper-class country house and it was run down? Maybe. Interesting. Or maybe it was just a weird translation. The, the actual definition, it's overused and not used correctly, ever. Yeah, probably. That's how a lot of words are. The authorities knew how many victims he had murdered because he kept detailed journal giving each and every detail of the murders. In his writings, he wrote he was a victim of police system, irregularities in jail system in Pakistan, and injustice in other sections of society. Okay, I'm sorry. I would like to know how, how it's the police and the justice system's fault that he decided to 
kill so many children. Yeah, like, oh, I'm going to get back at you by murdering a hundred children? That has nothing to do with the police force or no, at that point, the authorities. You're just a bad person. Yeah. Evil? Evil, evil definitely. You are an evil person. He claimed he committed these heinous crimes to get back at the Pakistan police for police brutality. He said, I quote, I was so badly beaten that my head was crushed, my backbone broken, and I was left crippled. I hate this world. My mother cried for me. I wanted a hundred mothers to cry for their children. The newspaper, the local newspaper, quoted him saying. Okay. That's disgusting. It is. That's not a reason. It's not. It's just a cop-out. I'm pretty sure that that's narcissism. Am I wrong? I could be... Hey, Siri. Hi, Siri. What is the definition of narcissism? Narcissism means... Excessive interest nor admiration of oneself and one's physical appearance. Also, selfishness involving a sense of entitlement, a lack of empathy, and need for admiration as characterizing a personality type. Also, self-centered arising from failure to distinguish the self from external objects, either in a very young babies or as a feature of mental disorder. So, babies are narcissists? Huh. Interesting. I didn't know that. I didn't either. But also, I'm pretty sure, like, the sense of entitlement and lack of empathy. He just checked both those boxes with that statement right there. He definitely did. He said that they allegedly beat him in the early 90s while he was detained for the questioning of sodomizing children. I'm sorry. You're pissed off because the police beat you for attacking children? Probably with your dick? That's awful. Probably beat you as well. I'm not gonna lie and say I wouldn't either. That's fucked up. Stick list. Stick list. Yeah, he's on the stick list. We're only on page two, guys, and he's already on the stick list. Fuck my life. Um, he found his victims from the streets. They were mostly runaways and orphans. He thought, quote, no one will go looking for them. So it's essentially the same as uh, sex workers. He was finding all his victims on the streets. These poor family members of these children likely had no idea they were missing if they were street kids. Well, even, you know, there are some street kids that run around with kids that are runaways but still have a family. That's They're true. Just, they're poor, so they run around with those who they can make friends with, because let's face it, being poor still has, like, a stigma in any country. It does, and um, having friends that understand what it's like to be in their situation makes you click with them. So it's probably not just, you know, orphans and runaways that he was picking up. It was probably kids with, with families. Yeah, probably. He turned himself into the local newspaper office because he claimed to be afraid of the authorities killing him after writing down his confession. While he was writing, local authorities sent 100 soldiers to surround the building and take him into custody. Okay, that's a little excessive. A little bit. One soldier per child he murdered. 
out he had three accomplices. Two of his accomplices were caught while trying to cash traveler's checks. Families of the victims identified their children by looking at photos of clothing belonging to their loved ones. There wasn't really any bodies to and you wouldn't want to anyways. It's my stomach. I just want to vomit. We gotta just get through this one. Tiffany, I don't know how you wrote this. This is, this is... It's terrible. Wow. Two of his three accomplices, Muhammad Ari and Zafar Ahmed, killed themselves by taking poison while in custody of the city of Lahore. They told investigators they were partners in crime with Jabid, One confessed to sexually assaulting some of the children. The third accomplice, think, how do you think that's pronounced? Ishak. Ishak Billa? Yeah. Died in custody of the city. He was on the third floor while being interrogated. He jumped out the window to his death. Uh, I hope he suffered. Billa was said to have sold the acid to Jabid. There, there was another accomplice, they thought, so maybe a fourth one, who was a 17-year-old boy. The other youths were named as accomplices, so all of the accomplices were under 18. Only were they accomplices, but they were also victims. Oh, that makes it so much worse, because he probably groomed them. He did, definitely. He was controlling them, and they probably... What is that? That's, that's grooming. Yeah. It's disgusting. There was a victim who was also an accomplice. He was 15. He was found guilty of 13 murders and received 14 years for each murder. A total of 182 years. He was only 13 years upon sentencing and received a total of 53 years in prison additional. So he was in there forever. Despite all the evidence against, he claimed in court to be, I'm talking about Iqbal now, um, be in court to be innocent. So after all of the evidence describing detailed descriptions of the murders and the people he murdered and exactly what he did, he told the courts he was innocent. No one's going to fucking believe you. Saying the entire affair was an elaborate hoax to draw attention to the plight of runaway children from poor families. He claimed that he sentenced, I'm sorry, he claimed that his statements to police were made under duress. The evidence against him was huge. More than a hundred witnesses testified against Iqbal and he and his accomplices were found guilty. So the accomplices that lived were found guilty. Iqbal was sentenced to death by hanging. The judge said, and I quote, you will be strangled to death in front of the parents whose children you killed. Your body will then be cut into a hundred pieces and put into acid the same way you killed the children. This is literally the definition of eye for an eye. Yeah, it is. That's the reason I did this case. That is highly unusual. Part of it is because they're in another country. I think this is the only case in the world that has had a sentence like this. Well, we're all, we are also talking about Pakistan. 
in the nineties. We are not familiar with those laws whatsoever, so that might be actually normal. Yeah, because some of the Middle Eastern countries still use stoning as a method of punishment. That's true. Which, honestly, in this case, I'm okay with how they are sentencing him. I agree. Morning of October 8th, on Iqbal's birthday, him and the one accomplice were found dead in their cell. In their cell. No! In the prison. It appeared that they had committed suicide, but the autopsy says differently. It showed that he had been heavily beaten before his death. I know I sound like a piece of shit when I say I hope he suffered, but... I hope he suffered. I hope he suffered. He probably didn't suffer enough. The mom of a young boy, it is whack jobs like this that keep me up at night. And lock the doors and be a helicopter parent and just be worried about everything. Yep. Um, especially with uh, human trafficking and yeah, you that's never big f- in Portland. You never know. You never know. You could turn away for a half second and they're gone. Yeah. Gone. No, every time I take my kids to the store, I am right on there. I'm like, you're you're either in the cart or you're hanging onto the cart. You're not leaving my sight. You stay right where I can see you. You wanna call me a helicopter parent? That's fine. My kids not getting abducted. Agreed. There's nothing wrong with being a helicopter parent, I think, in that situation. I don't, like, don't get me wrong. I don't isolate my kids. Uh, They can go and play with other kids. I have friends. We do play dates when we have time and our schedules line up. Like, child goes to a public school. Yeah. Like, I'm not, I'm not crazy. You're just... I'm cautious. Yeah, you're just aware of what's happening and the fact that it could happen. You know? I'm cautious because of assholes like this guy. Exactly. And the third accomplice was also found dead in a cell close by him at the same time. Allegedly, there was some talk they might have been murdered by the guards because of the evidence that they were heavily beaten. How else would that happen? I mean... It sounded like they were in cells by themselves, so it wasn't like a cellmate could beat them. Right. The information wasn't official, so there's no way to know what happened. Um, I found it very interesting the way the judge sentenced him to die the same way he killed his victims. And that's the end of the story. Uh, Javid, you are number one on our stick list. I mean, there's some there's some people on there that are... I agree. They're, we're just going to do it in chronological order. Alphabetical order? No, chron- chronological. Chronological. So, I guess... so you are number six. Or seven? Are we on seven? Not everybody that we have done an episode about gets on the stick list. This is only That's our true. second stick list uh, person. So he's number two. Number two on our stick list. Yeah. Although he's dead. He is. So I guess he... We'd have to revive him and then... I don't want to do the zombie thing. Me neither. Yeah, that's just not gonna... It's not gonna feel right. No. Okay. Okay. No zombies. What other crimes have we done? We did... 
Has anybody, is anybody still alive in the crime scene though? Because we did. I don't think so. I think they're all dead. Ball shooting. Yep. That guy's dead. He's gone. We did, um. I mean, Dave Leroy Rogers is still alive, so he's. Is he? I thought he was dead. No, he's alive. Unless he's died in the last couple months. No, he's. he's Those are the three we've done. Oh, okay. Well, the stick list will grow eventually. But so far, only one. On our our new stick list. Oh, is alive still. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yep. Okay, guys. Tuning in, guys. We really appreciate you coming back each week. Uh, or in your free time and listening to our episodes. We're having fun doing what we're doing. Um, have a story or a, a true crime case that you would like us to go over on our podcast. Uh, shoot us an email at wickedlymacabre at gmail.com or send us a note on our website. Crap, what is our website? I don't know. I'll link it again. I'm really bad at this, <laughs> Hold on. I think I can pull up our website. And also, if you could take the time and give us a review on Apple Podcasts, that would be great. It gets us a little bit more attention from the big guys, kind of puts us a little bit more on the map, and we love seeing your comments. We love seeing the reviews. We've been reading the reviews, and we absolutely, it gets us really, really excited. Even if you don't like the show, give us a review. It's okay. You don't have to love us, although we ideally want you to love us. Okay, so our website is wickedly-macabre.onpodium.com forward slash. It will be linked in the episode notes. That's our sources. Yeah. One thing that we keep hearing is that it's difficult to tell the difference between our voices, which is funny because some of those people are my family that are saying that. Yeah. I have, uh, my sister actually said that to me. My sister did too. (laughs) Um, but when I'm doing the editing, I also, sometimes it takes me half a second to figure out if it's you or me. I agree, which is funny because we recorded it. Yeah, and I don't think we sound anything alike in person. I don't either, but some reason in the recording, there's something, I don't know if it's because we're together or it's the audio or what. Maybe our souls sync as one and magic happens and we mold into one person and we don't even know it. That's probably it. It's creepy. It is. Yay. Stop it. Creep. Ha <laughs> ha.